The other C word. Yeah. <laughs> Tim Wilson, MP, welcome to The Political Animals. Thanks for having me, Jonathan. Uh, it's great to be here in your, I don't know if it's still called an electoral office or a division office. But electorate office. Electorate office. You're the in member. Centre Road, Bentley. That's right. Sunny Bentley, although not so much today, but we'll ignore that. That's right. And this, for listeners who are unaware, is in the uh, southeastern suburbs of Melbourne. Tim is a member of the Federal Parliament, the lower house. Tim, can I begin with this? I, back in the days when you were a young gun at the Institute of Public Affairs. Yes. And I used to, and I was still watching Q&A. I saw mm. you on Q&A and there was a really interesting moment at the end of one show when Tony Jones tried to ram the label conservative down your throat and you metaphorically spat it back out at him. And if my memory serves correctly, you described yourself, you corrected him and described yourself as a classical liberal and I wondered if my recollection's correct but even if that's not how would you describe your political philosophy so I would describe myself I read a whole book about this last year by the way okay. for you, called the new social contract renewing the liberal vision for Australia which you can buy online uh, but I would ultimately I would describe my political philosophy as being a liberal but you know because of the the intersection between liberal partisanship and liberal philosophy some people might get them confused so we generally say classical liberal these days i probably use more of a hue around modern liberal to make the point that that the political philosophy needs to evolve um, with society and so i sort of call myself a bit of a modern liberal these days but whatever it is it's a liberal okay so you're very much in that liberal tradition within the liberal party because it's a complex beast it's got conservatives I, i imagine it may have some Libertarians, there are those who still stand in the, the liberal part of that tradition and it's all one big happy family. Well, well, the, the liberal tradition, I mean, I always, how do I explain it? Ultimately, politics is about power mm-hmm. and who has that power and how people exercise that power. Now, that might sound like a self-evident statement, but most people don't think about politics like that. And it, that is what it's about. It's not about left versus right. It's actually about who has power. And the thing that defines liberalism of political philosophy is that it seeks to empower uh, or uh, decentralise power away from central authorities. So government being the ultimate example, but it's not alone. There's concentrations of economic capital um, and all sorts of different forms of power that can be concentrated in the hands of the few at the expense of the many. And liberalism is a political philosophy that says, no, no get it out of the hands of the many and democratise it in the, in the hands, uh, oh, sorry, the hands of the few, democratise in the hands of the many. So um, uh, very much in favour of empowering individuals, families and communities as the foundation of society uh, and our country. And so, and my political worldview flows from that. So, democratizing political power through the ballot box and universal enfranchisement, the economy through price signals. That's why we believe in things like a free market economy. Yes, it gives it delivers better economic growth. Yes, it um, provides a more sustainable economic model. But in the end, it's actually about empowering people to own things and to be able to dictate the terms, not be at the behest of the few. Um, and of course, you know, social liberalism is about recognizing, respecting people and how they want to choose to live their lives, etc. Can I ask you this? And uh, this is too interesting, so I'm not actually getting to my my real questions yet. I know, and I know we're, we're, we're under the gun for time, but we, That's all right. we will get there. Um, 
you may or may, have been, may or may not have been informed by your staff that I am sort of politically conservative. That's where I right. place myself in that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the other C word. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely played. <laughs> the, can I ask you this? From your perspective, standing within that, that sort of liberal tradition at both the economic and social level, uh, what would you nominate as the kind of defining difference or dividing point between conservatives because you share a party room with people yeah. that describe themselves as conservatives and your kind of brand of liberalism well conservatism isn't a political philosophy politely it's not um it's i always try and explain this to um people who you know younger people in particular which is to say you're a progressive or a conservative tells me nothing mm-hmm. about we're all progressive and conservative on some things um, it's like being in a car and defining yourself by your accelerator or your brake. You know, conservatism is when, oh, true conservatism, or its, it's worst form is when you actually slam your foot on the brake and you go nowhere well, the rest of the world passes you by. Being a progressive at the most extreme end means flooring it and then eventually you'll run off the road, which is basically what progressivism in its purest form does. What actually matters is, are you a social democrat? at least in the Australian tradition, a social democrat, which is about empowering government to own and control more of our lives, or a liberal democrat. And that is ultimately empowering individuals, families and communities as the organic institutions of society. You're not trying to recreate the world, you're just merely respecting um, how it exists. Now, we're all somewhat more conservative, progressive about the journey we want to take, but it is basically, do you want to go in either of those directions? Now, they're not the only choices. Mm -hmm. There's you know, um, uh, believing in a sort of religious fundamentalism. Mm-hmm. Now, we just don't have those traditions as much mm-hmm. in our country. So that's why I say that. So when you say, you know, you're a conservative, it's like, well, on some things I'm very conservative. I'm very conservative on institutions. Mm-hmm. But in the Burkean sense, which is, you know, conservative institutions without their capacity to evolve, um, you know, essentially become irrelevant. So you need to respect and reflect the fact that they change with society again organically. I'm very conservative on our culture. I really believe in our way of life and I believe, and but that's not because I'm a conservative, mm-hmm. it's because I'm a liberal because mm-hmm. the liberal tradition is what our country has broadly inherited since, you know, European settlement. Um, so what are the big divides? We've had big divides in recent years between liberals and conservatives, but I would argue sometimes the conservatives haven't really been conservatives. Mm-hmm. The, the classic e- example, and, and I'm sure it'll get raised at some point, is the whole marriage debate. Now, I obviously had very strong views on that and, and very much informed by my own personal perspective, and I'm not trying to pretend otherwise. But to me, ultimately, the true conservative position was to support a change mm-hmm. in the law. It wasn't to hold it back. Mm-hmm. Society had moved, and it was actually it's reactionary to try and change society back from where society has moved from. And of course, liberals had their own arguments about rights and equality and all those sorts of things. So I think the liberal and equality position was there. Um, so I think, um, I, I don't know that there is this huge divide mm-hmm. between liberals and conservatives um, on most issues. Um, I think you see bubbling, um, ones that bubble away about, well, the role of you know, institutionalised religion. Mm-hmm. Um, that tends to less be about conservative views, I think probably more religious views and people having a deference towards the role of the church, which I think, again, you know, society has moved from that. So it's how do you steer in a sensible direction? But I don't know there is this huge divide. Mm-hmm. There are some people who obviously hold a much greater sense of um, um, traditionalism in their worldview, whereas I'm somebody who believes very much that 
If you don't define the future, well, this is one of my great criticisms of conservatism as I write in the new social contract, <laughs> which <laughs> uh, but is if you don't, and this is Hayek's criticism of conservatism. He actually wrote a famous essay called Why I'm Not a Conservative is because um, if you don't define an alternative vision, you'll just be dragged, a conservative will only be dragged to their opponent's territory. And it doesn't matter what it is. And look at it. I mean, you know, I, I gave a speech recently in the parliament where I quoted Orwell, where uh, I can't remember the exact words he used. I really should. Um, but, you know, if you, uh, those who those who define um, the present will define the future, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, well, if you're not actually interested in defining the future, you can neither control um, the present nor define the past. You've always got to be focused on the future um, if you want to keep the country heading in the right direction. And that should be the true role of somebody who defines themselves within their tradition as conservative, but you need to have a direction about where you're going, and that's liberalism. Or you can actually be a conservative and a socialist. I mean, it's actually... It's genuinely a legitimate option. In fact, much of the mo- the traditional Labor Party mm-hmm. was actually a conservative working class party yep. that wanted, you know, the more um, uh, centrally owned and controlled institutions of society. Yep. That's why I also think conservatism is such a, 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 a folly to describe yourself as, with all due respect, because it doesn't tell you anything about where you're trying to take the country, only the speed at which you're seeking to move it, and then you're beh- um, beholden to the agendas of others. Yeah. Look, I think, look, folly or otherwise, I, <laughs> I, I can accept a lot of that criticism, actually, and I, and I can recognise it and see yeah. it there, because I, I do think conservatism... As limitations, as is, by the way, as liberalism, just for clarity. Yeah, well, well, not not, and but not so much in the sort of generic philosophical sense. Notwithstanding your your um, outrageous assertion that it's not, it's not doesn't doesn't make the grade of bigger philosophy. Well, sorry, I, I probably actually know. To be fair, I should use the word ideology. Okay. I don't think it's an ideology. Yeah. I think. It, oh, I like that because I'm against ideology, and well, I, so I think I, conservatism uh, is becoming an ideology. Well, there's that kind of set of dogmatic sort of things you got to sign up to, and if you don't meet the test, they spit you out and. Yeah, and I think that's. I think that's. Um, I agree, and I share with that criticism. I think it's. It's really bizarre because conservatives. But I would just, in defence of ideology. Um, <laughs> no, 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 no. There are basically only two motivating principles in politics, which is power and ideas. Yeah. The cele- the demonisation of ideology is the celebration of politics for power. Mm-hmm. Now, conservatism within itself has ideological dimensions because you're making clear statements about society, the economy, everything that you inherited, the culture, the traditions, and why you want to conserve them. But I just don't think that, uh, I don't think this kind of, as you correctly point, a checklist approach to what is a true conservative actually, uh, I think, paints conservatism in a very negative light, at least because who the hell is deciding this list? Um, And invariably, it's people who um, I don't think have a vision for the future, so therefore are merely selling our country out to the socialist success. I think not only that, but it it really apes some of the worst pathologies, as I would say. You may or may not share this depiction of the left. That is, that's where you find this kind of rigid orthodoxy. Often you see it with cancel culture, and there there are, there are all yeah. these new taboos. And if you even um, cough at one of those taboos, you can be mass massacred. And I don't, I don't think conservatives should follow that. But yes. There is another aspect to me that you may or may not have been briefed on. That is, I am also in the category of religiously conservative. All right. Sort of, not the most theologically conservative Christian, but I am. That's right. uh, Well, thank you. And uh, 
Well, you don't yeah. need my approval. <laughs> this is a, we live in a free society. You are actually allowed to determine how you want to live your life. Well, yeah, yeah. That's because we live in a liberal democracy, not a conservative. Indeed. Well, well I'm into <laughs> that. And, and I, I must confess, sometimes I do flirt with the idea of maybe really I'm a conservative liberal in the sense that I do like the basic liberal framework of self-determination. I think. Yep. I think we overemphasize the individual in our society, but nor do we want to underemphasize it because we don't want to have a situation where, you know, I'm, my one option is to follow the profession of my father and the one option for a woman is to get married at 15 and have babies. Sure. We want some sort of freedom for people to do this, that and the other. I just well, freedom doesn't exist of, without responsibility. Yeah. And this is one thing that I think conservatives those who identify as conservative, which I'll give you the bonnet up, do understand which our dear friends on the left do not. No, no, that's right. And I think I think this is one of the key cultural pressure points where liberals, in your sense, and conservatives, in my, in my sense, really can break bread and find common common cause. Actually, yep. On on that question of freedoms, because I do think they come as a package deal. Yep. And you can't really erode one, whether it's religious freedom of speech, freedom of conscience, whatever. You know, but freedom, free enterprise. The it's it's either, and of course there are limits, but you either have freedoms in all areas of life. You can't have this kind of Chinese pretense where you don't have certain political freedoms, but you have certain economic freedoms. I just don't. Well, the, whether that works or not, I don't. Want, I don't want to live in that uh, society myself. Well, I don't want to live in that society either. But it, I think it's one of these real problems with how a lot of people talk about society today, where they say, "Well, you know, you're you're allowed or you're permitted or it's legal to do that." Actually, all things are legal yeah, yeah. until you explicitly make them illegal. Now, some things should be illegal, and there'll be obvious things we can all agree on, like murder. But there's an obvious tension around where does the harm principle, the the um, Lockean harm principle, um, sit, and particularly in the relationship between two people and things like commerce and etc. Um, and and I don't think that's a static discussion. I think it's but in the end you have to start from respecting the rights and freedoms of everybody to be able to live out the fullest manifestation of their life. Mm-hmm within a, a, a civil order mm-hmm. and that's where i think they i suspect we would have very strong agreement it's where the detail rests that that's the challenge well, that, that, i agree with that but this this is what i was heading towards because i think this is where the difference between us is going to be and it might be interesting to explore that mm-hmm. because i think whilst i believe in that liberal framework yep from my perspective i do have certain normative views about culture sexuality and the list sure. goes on it's just I, I don't want to live in a theocracy where I force people to live what I would consider the most kind of flourishing, virtuous life. People need to be free to make mistakes. That, that includes well, religious people, beliefs. But I do people come down... Need, can, I, can I say this? Yeah. People need to be... To be moral, people need to be free to commit sin. Mm-hmm. And this yeah, is the yeah, other point I that think, I think theocrats miss. And free to choose God. You can't... It's a thing of the heart. You can't force someone to Correct. be a religious believer. You know, yeah. Forcing people to go to church has, has been tried in you know, Puritan England and Calvin's Geneva, that does not work. And no, I'm, and I'm, and I'm not actually, it's a waste of time to force No, but if, if, I'm not a religious person, as you know, but if, if I would have thought that beyond just the, the simple concept of faith, to give your life and love over to God, mm. um, I would think, you know, you cannot do that involuntarily. It must be no. a conscious act. Absolutely. Um, and however it's done through inspiration, and anything else is insincere and um, yeah. ultimately doesn't fulfil its purpose. Which is why, in, in, a, in, a, in a certain sense, a certain type of theocracy, which is really does sort of enforce rigidly the Ten Commandments and 
forces people to live a certain conception of a religious life. And there are conservative Christians that are all into this. Uh, um, How are you, Lyle? (laughs) (laughs) And, um, but it is a kind of oxymoron because what you find in the Bible is that there's, there's a sort of call to follow Jesus. And even in his own teaching, there are parables that tell you not everyone's going to, to do that, you know. There are certain people who, even Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, ultimately <laughs> chose a different path. For but it, yeah, and, but it, isn't that isn't part of the journey also of? And I don't want to. I don't know which tradition of Christianity you can. Ang- Anglican evangelical is kind of my. Oh, okay. my Background. Yeah. So, um, but isn't well by its nature it's evangelizing, which yeah. means that there basically has to be people who are there to be converted, whether they be atheist, agnostic. Or of another religion, yeah. and so yeah. you know, you necessarily need a free society to enable you to live out yeah. the values. A lot of the key um, missions and vocations inside the church would suddenly disappear in a perfect theocracy because the apologists, the evangelists, the missionaries wouldn't have a role. But well, that's not true. The missionaries probably would, but there would be love and care rather than bringing people. Yeah, in. there'd be discipleship. There'd be yeah. pastoral work. There'd be sort of Bible teachers. There'd be yeah. still be preachers and, and, and all that. But, but that's when we'd cease to be a liberal democracy. We could still be, we could be kind of a liberal theocracy. But I would still struggle with how. Well, that this would work. this is kind of what I was trying to articulate, and it's difficult to articulate because it's possibly a subtle difference between us although it might not be so subtle on certain questions, but in terms of the framework, because I I do, I like the scaffolding around this liberal society, and I think it's very important, and I'm a defender of it, even with some of my conservative religious uh, brethren. But yep. I will strongly advocate for a, a kind of, both an explicitly kind of Christian <laughs> lifestyle, because I've got that sure. evangelistic background, but no, not everyone's going to, you know, a realist, not everyone's going to choose that option, and it's a, it's a, distinct minority in Australia these days let's face it but also I have certain uh, theologically informed views just call them cultural just to give it a very nice generic stuff because it's not so much law and foreign policy and economics as such but this is the reason part of the reason why I raise this is I think you know you're talking about about liberals and conservatives before one of the interesting things... Well, you raised the topic. Well, like. well, well true. true, true. I, can't, I can't blame you for uh, <laughs> yeah, anyway. any, any aspect of the discussion. That's true. I am notionally in control. But <laughs> the uh, uh, you almost derailed me. Not quite. The Where I was going is that I something very similar happened during the same-sex marriage yep. um, debate and plebiscite. Yep. Because I think what it did, particularly... Because I was going to say, it, I think conservatism is increasingly becoming a religious thing in a way i think it's still secular dominated if you look at the big sort of public figures your alan jones and your your bolts they're sort of agnostics or not particularly religious um yeah at that sense but um those who are hanging out in this very social conservatism because i think there has been a massive shift more towards both a progressive and a liberal you know kind of center-right sense that's where the bulk of people seem to be i know that this is a long sure. sort of picture, no, no. but what I observed happening is that the no campaign sort of organised conservative Christian voices in a way no other issue had. There was there was kind of lots of isolated disorder. I know there was a Australian Christian lobby in that. Yes, yeah. and that. But I think two things happened. One, 
I never, I never thought the the no case had any chance of winning. I, I had conservative friends who who believed, but I, I thought, with respect to those listening, that they were, they were nuts because I can read the polls, and I, I was very sure. Whatever, the, and it was a, it was a comp, comprehensive victory for the yeah. the yes camp, although a significant minority, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Voted no, a, a non-trivial number. Let's put it that way. The um, I think two things happened. One, it it um, created a it popped a bubble. This bubble that we we're still kind of living in a sort of semi-Christian society. That Christianity was kind of integrated. It had a seat at the table. Perhaps there was an overestimation of its influence or a, a kind of. Well, I think it asserted its 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 position a lot of the time, which was disproportionate to the rest of the community. Yeah. And I get the point you kind of... Sorry, you finished. Or do you want to oh, look, I, I could keep going, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah. No, I, 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 think, I think this is a really interesting point because nobody on the yes side of the argument really wanted a vote. And I used to make the argument to some people who are my colleagues mm-hmm. who wanted a vote. I said, I don't think you realise what's going to happen after this. You're going to be stripped of all power mm-hmm. in terms of these debates. This, the country will have been able to have a binary vote about the direction of the nation and all compromise or, or accommodation um, will seem to be lost in that discussion because you have a binary result. And I was absolutely the view that we're always going to win the yes case. Um, at least not just because of the polls, it's um, frankly because the country was over-debating the issue. The, and I'm a great believer that particularly the Australian Christian lobby sole, you know, in... If I were a member of the Australian Christian Lobby, and I imagine I wouldn't see it this way, but this is how I see it from the outside, is the ACL sold out this debate for coin. Because what they wanted to do was have a vote because they thought it was a good basis to organise people as part of some grand visionary backlash that was going to come raise money, etc., for their power. Um, and, of course, that did not come about because people... And I remember seeing this because I was obviously very involved with the Yes campaign. We watched how quickly people responded where it didn't matter what your view was, you weren't going to be shifted. And people voted very quickly. So by the time it came around to running a campaign, the truth was that whole postal survey was out pretty much about mm. 24 hours after people received their survey okay. form in the mail. Um, and this was common across the board. So I think they thought that there was going to be this great uprising. Now, anyone who knows Australia could have told you that was never going to happen. Because even when people do have very strong views about their faith, and people do, and they can be very, um, they're normally very private about it. And there'd already been this cultural kind of drift to saying religion has a place in people's lives, um, of course, privately, of course, in worship with others, and even within the broader discussion of the public square. But it's never going to become a, a justification to try and impose on others how they live their lives. And I think, and that's not just about the marriage debate, that's about lots of things. But the other part, of course, as well, and, and I'm not attaching this in any way to the you know the overwhelming number of people of faith in this country who've done you know incredible and beneficial things to our community our country means critical to the foundations of the success of our country but um the the reality of a lot of the issues of child sexual abuse and whatnot not just raise questions about the role of um, organized religion in society but actually exposed a lot of what some of the chief protagonists or, or the, the legacy they carried of others um, in arguing against this change and made them out as hypocrites. So you were, so there was no great uprising that was going to happen. Um, uh, most Australians in their different ways were live and let live 
Um, there are plenty of people who disagreed with the principle of um, religious marriage between same-sex couples, but were happy to support a civil definition. Um, but I also just think people wanted the discussion over because it had been going on for so long and it was clear which direction it was going to end up in. Mm-hmm. And so um, I just don't think people should read into it that there isn't a space for people to be inspired by their faith or to voice it in the public square. People have every right for that to be their motivation in their life, in, in the fullness of their life. But it has to come with an accommodation and respect of others, mm. and that they're what you know. It's a, it is a bit of a biblical principle, but do unto others as do unto you. Um, and if you base it on that, I think you'll most people will largely find their lives completely unaffected. But using faith as a reason to impose ain't going to cut it in twenty first century Australia. Mm-hmm. So the apart from this bubble bursting, what I mean by that is a reality check that you know what the the culture has moved a long way from. Yeah. <laughs> from uh, sort of things where you believe in and and, I, and to your point and I, and I, I agree to some extent that uh, what it did was make the sort of demographic reality undeniable well people woke up after the day of the postal survey and some people looked at the country and said this isn't the country I thought it was mm. and it's not just and I do understand that yeah. because people, particularly if you're in um, smaller communities, often yeah. which yeah. you know religious communities often organise, um, people can become can have their own perception of their reality. And then when you look at the the fullness of the Australian community on a binary issue, yeah. where it's um, transparent, all of a sudden people look at it and go, "Well, I don't think that is the community I live mm-hmm. in." But it's mm-hmm. definitely, the, it might, but accept that it might be the country they live in, yeah. and that's kind of the gap as well. So in the couple, two minutes we've, we've got left, <laughs> let me finish here, because this is kind of where I was building up to. Oh, sorry. So, no, 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 you don't need to apologise. The whole point is for you to talk, so, and that's okay. all thoroughly interest, interesting. I would take two hours if I had, but you're a, you're a representative, and I know every week there's a, probably a huge queue of thousands of people that need a piece of so you. So stop wasting time. Uh, stop wasting time, that's <laughs> right. So uh, if you speak to religiously conservative people who voted no in the same-sex marriage debate. Yep. There's a pervasive sense of not only has the culture shifted, but a kind of sense of a genuine uh, feeling, whether valid or not, that they can't actually do what you just described before and be open about, you know, I have a traditional view of marriage because I feel like it's become more constrained. And there is, there is a, a small part of the LGBTIQ sort of activist movement, if yep. you like, which seems to have not stopped at marriage, but uh, have, I don't know whether it's because of personal trauma, maybe they've suffered in... in oh, there's some people out there kind of who almost want revenge, is what you're yeah, trying to like say. Yeah, like there are, there are certain individuals being harassed legally through human rights tribunals. Yep. And, and there was a discussion not so long ago before COVID about religious freedom, do we need legislation? Your government yep. kind of did some inquiries. That whole issue seems to have dropped off the map. But of course, in conservative Christian social media, <laughs> this is still like number one yeah. issue. Do you think, is this just uh, a bunch of whiny losers who lost the debate? Do you, do you well, I don't think that there's there's some legitimate issues that have arisen or what do you make well, well, if anyone who's followed my writings will know that for instance, I always stood up for, mm. in my previous job, and um, only because the issues, the, um, the case has gone away, 
um, for Archbishop Julian Porteous and mm. said it was just it was patently absurd to have a situation yeah. where people arguing their traditional definition of marriage is somehow now supposed to be um, something that's sensitive. Yeah, I mean it's just ridiculous, and it's ridiculous even after the change in the mm. law because you are entirely within your rights to say this is my religious definition of marriage. In fact, you can even say this is what I believe the civil definition of mm. marriage should be. Mm. It's just not, so yeah. you've got to accept you're wrong. Yeah. Um, but uh, and so I can understand why people feel. That constrained by that, but the reality is, on both ends of the extremes of this debate, mm-hmm. and there are absolutely extremes at both ends, where you've got fanatical people who, you know, um, some who would like to see a reverse back against the weight of public opinion on the issue, and other people who want to go much further. You're always going to have nut jobs, mm-hmm. and they're always going to use every pathway available to them, mm-hmm. um, in my view, to make their case or to change society. That's why they're at the extremes. Mm-hmm. Whereas the vast bulk of people, you know, can go into a workplace and respect how somebody else lives their life while also holding on to their personal morality and show respect. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the classic example of this is, is the Prime Minister. The Prime Minister had obviously different view on this particular issue. Mm-hmm. But the first time he saw myself and my husband together afterwards, the mm-hmm. first thing he did was congratulate yeah. my husband because it doesn't matter whether you agree with somebody's marriage or not, yeah. you cannot ignore the fact that it has happened. Yeah. And, well, you can, but it's ungracious. And I think that sense of humility and grace is a really powerful thing, even if you may not agree with how people are living their lives. Now, when it comes to the Religious Discrimination Act, and I think this is one of the critical issues, is people are hearing different things. Mm. Under current federal legislation, we have the Race, Age, Disability and Sex Discrimination Acts. Um, And what the proposal was to have a Religious Discrimination Act, which is about saying, no, you can't be discriminated against in the housing you can have because of your private or your religious beliefs. Yeah. And I believe that. Mm. You know, you shouldn't be say you can't have housing or you can't have access to services in the same way you can't deny people for other reasons. Mm. Um, but when it becomes a religious freedom bill, which is a very different thing, which is then basically a charter of rights or a bill of rights that gives special legal privileges to people solely on the basis of their faith, well, hang on, the whole principle of rights and responsibilities is the universal. So you've got to find a place. If you want to make that argument, you can't just make it for you. You've got to make it for everybody. And if you do that, you'll be successful. And if you can't, if you want a special legal privilege, you're going to be unsuccessful. Um, There are uh, enough people in Parliament on both sides who will say, this is not the type of country we want to be. And it's a type of country I don't want. I didn't believe in a change in law or on the definition of marriage because I wanted special legal privileges. I wanted the law to respect the rights and freedoms of everybody. Mm -hmm. And that's the basis. So Mm -hmm. if you can make that argument, I think you'll be successful. If you don't want to make that argument and you just say, no, I want protection for myself, then I think you're going to find it much harder. And frankly, it's not the basis that I think people of faith should want the country to go on because as soon as you're claiming special legal privileges for yourself, you'll create uh, a framework where other people can manipulate it and use it to their own ends and you can't assume that will end up in the best place for people of faith either. Tim Wilson, I know you've got to go to your next appointment. Uh, Fascinating conversation, brief but very We can do it again. Oh, well, uh, that sounds like an invitation that I might might take (laughs) up sometime. We'll do a part two. It was lovely to talk to you. Likewise. Thank you, Tim. (laughs) Take care.